Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. It's good to be in worship today. Are you singing for joy? Has God done anything good in your life you just want to give thanks for? I was thinking during that song about Booker Washington um, referring to himself as a turtle on a fence post. And the reason he said that is he explained that he just had this sense that in his life that all of what God has done for him is just by grace. If you see a turtle on a fence post, what you know is that it didn't get there on its own. And I really relate to that. I'm grateful for the good things in my life. I am a turtle on a fence post. <laughs> and I'm, I'm thankful. And I want to be careful to give God praise for it. I've been reflecting a little bit, and I'll ask you to do the same during this message. I've been reflecting on people that were influential in my life in helping me to come to faith to a knowledge of Christ and people not only who gave me the knowledge but made me want to follow Jesus. You might begin thinking about those people in your lives. And I'm grateful. I've always had this sense that I don't deserve the gift of salvation. And and I know that that's our theology and everything else. But I feel that. I don't deserve it. It's something that God gives And I'm a receiver, if anything else. I think about this from time to time. What is it going to be like in moment one of heaven? I'm off script. Thanks for leading us in worship because I'm singing for joy today. What is it going to be like when we're done with this path? whether we have a clear vision or not, 20 years or 50 years or whatever. What will it look like on day one? I mean, there's some vision. What will it look like for us? I really believe that there's going to be no bragging on our part in heaven. Are you with me? It's a good thing for you guys because, you know, pastors would probably be the worst. Holy, holy, holy am I. Look at all I did in all, all of my life and you all be wholly miserable. (laughs) I think the first moment that I see Jesus, I'm going to fall flat on my face. Me and you. And say, only you, Jesus, receive the credit and the praise and the thanks for what you did, for who you are, not for who we are, or how great we were, or what we got done. But to see the one who loved us that much that he poured out his life, shed his blood on a cross for people like us, before we could ever begin to appreciate that, I'll just want to worship him. I'll just want to thank him. And in my life, all that I want to do is brag on him. Thank him for accepting me 
where I was. I don't know that it's such a great thing for a turtle to be on a fence post, but (laughs) I think it's a great thing to be in the care of Jesus. And I feel that in my life, and I have a story that I, I don't deserve that. came from a family where addiction was rampant. And I've watched my siblings, one of them is gone, go through so much unnecessary pain and difficulty in this life. I was the one that always wanted to go to church. (laughs) My mom would go sometimes and I'd always go with her and There's just no other way for me to explain that desire to know him other than grace. I literally see what my life could have been and would have been outside of Jesus. I'll never forget introducing my wife to my family on several occasions. The real grace is right there. (laughs) She wasn't frightened. (laughs) I don't think she was. Maybe a little, maybe she still is. (laughs) But I remember with her in my life, just seeing it through totally different eyes. I don't know that any of us fully appreciate what Jesus has done for us in rescuing us from ourselves, in rescuing us from our sinful nature, in creating something totally new and totally different that we couldn't have been just because we wanted it or just because we thought we could be good enough or earn it, we can't. Isn't it all by grace that we're here celebrating Jesus? Isn't it all by grace that we can be a family, that I have brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage me, who can show me a better way, vice versa. I'm so grateful. We have good news to celebrate. We have good news to share. And I want you to know that my life is evidence that there are people outside of these walls who need you to share. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know what life in Christ looks like or feels like or could be without somebody else helping us to see it. You know that's true? I mean, what an incredible burden for us. What a privilege, but what a responsibility that you and I have to share this, to make this visible to people who are not exactly like us, who don't think the way we do, who don't maybe have a a life that's as put together as we may want to see or at least the life that we want to portray that we all have and don't. What a responsibility we have to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in our generation, in this world right now. I want to talk about what's known as evangelism today. If you'll turn to Acts chapter 4, 
I'll be sharing from evangelism. Uh, I'll be sharing from the early church and their experience with evangelism. As you know, I'm offering some snapshots briefly from the book of Acts during this month of May. And I'm doing that because, to me, these capture what we're supposed to be as a church. I think of Acts as like a blueprint. If we could just kind of go back to God's plans and what he wants and can do with the church, whatever else the church looks like, I want us to be true to what the Bible says we're to be all about. And as I look at Acts, you probably know this, but it's, it's just a 30-year history. That's what's incredible to me about the book of Acts. It chronicles from the resurrection of Jesus, about 33, to about the death of Paul in 64. So in this three decades, so you want to think about that. We've been here 28 years. You think about three decades. You can picture that, some of you if you're old enough. You can picture that three decades, the world changed through the church. There were dozens of believers in Jerusalem in this one place. And by the end of it, so it chronicles Peter and Paul and the apostles and the things that happened and all the churches that were planted in the first, second, and third missionary journeys. You're familiar with Acts. The book of Acts shows us how the church became what was seen as a Jewish sect to a worldwide movement for everybody. And they went from dozens, literally, to thousands. And I just want to be, as a church, right here in Meridian today, whatever God wants us to be. But I know that part of it is multiplication. I look at this, and I'd like to say with you, I'm really comfortable with my church family. I like my church family. I want to be with my church family. I need my church family. And I think the only way that a church family is ever healthy is if we're growing. And I take my cue from the book of Acts. I'll offer it here from Acts and invite the Lord to impress upon each of us what our individual roles and what our role corporately might be with that. I've chosen just five words to focus on during the month of May. We've already talked about what ministry is what it looks like to serve others outside of ourselves. We're not just called to help ourselves, but to be a practical, physical, even service, waiting tables. <laughs> we looked at that from Book of Acts. We talked about worship, and the priority of worship last week, to magnify God, to make him known. Today I want to talk about multiplication. What does it mean to be an evangelical messenger? Does that make you nervous? We're going to talk about evangelism today. Great. I don't know that this is supposed to be comfortable. Good. <laughs> Let's be uncomfortable together. <laughs> Let's let the Lord do it. Uh, and next week we'll talk about um, fellowship together. See, we'll get to what I think our church's major strengths are, right? We'll get there. And then we'll talk about disciple making and being willing to train someone else into our roles of leadership to make ourselves unnecessary, to disciple, to make someone to follow We'll look at all those things. But today we're looking at Acts chapter 4, and we'll talk about multiplication. The book of Acts is all about multiplication. I've shown you these two slides before. I just want to rehash. The book of Acts is all about growth. You can't get around it. If you want to look at the Bible as your model for church, you have to recognize that this healthy church grew and grew and grew. Am I right? 
So there's words everywhere. I could pick a lot of other verses than these, but the Lord uh, added to their number that day 3,000 souls. What a day that would be, right? I've stood on the, what are believed to be the southern steps of the temple in Jerusalem, and right there there's all these baptismals that would have been used for cleansing to go up into the temple. Well, they just repurposed those and baptized souls at that location. And I could picture it. I could think about that. 3,000. The Lord added to their number day by day, Acts 2.47. Uh, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of uh, men, and they counted uh, households that way, came to about 5,000. And so you see the church growing and growing. So by Acts 4, where we are here, um, that's a passage that we're reading in Acts 4 right here. There's at least 10,000 believers. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. You want more? I mean, it's just all over in Acts. Are you with me? Acts 1.8 is the foundation of all of it. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then the surrounding area of Judea, and to the ends of the earth. That's the pattern that Luke uses to describe the spread of the gospel. It's about the spread of the gospel. It's not about you and I just being comfortable with each other and sheltering ourselves from this terrible world that's around us. It's about loving the world as God so loved the world and caring about those that are, not, that are around us and not with us. Are you with me? It's not easy, is it? <laughs> okay. Um, so the word of God it, it prevailed. So over and over and over, there's this emphasis in Acts about growth. Well, Peter and John are featured in the first part of Acts, as you probably know. That's what you're going to read about in Acts chapter 4 as we pick it up right there. It's still the discussion of the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem. It's not yet to Judea, Samaria. Then it'll go to the ends of the earth, Philip and then Paul. So there's a structure to this book. So that's where they are. They're in Jerusalem. And of all things, they've been preaching. They've been talking about this Jesus who died for them and is risen again. And they use no uncertain terms to explain that that blood is on their hands right there in Jerusalem. These people, many of them who would have witnessed the crucifixion, they know all about it, are being told what it means. That this was God's son, second person of the Trinity. This is serious. And he's risen and vindicated. And the only means of salvation is through him. So that's the message that they're giving. They're relentless about this. They're fearless about this. They're evangelists. Oh, and just before this, they had publicly healed someone who was lame. So you put those things together, and these religious leaders who want to hold on to, this is just us, this is just Jerusalem, this will never be about Samaria, this will never be about the Gentiles, this will never be about the ends of the earth, whoever Ken Redford is in Talon, Oregon. It's not about him. It's only about us now. They do not like it. So notice what happens. Would you stand with me as you're able? I'm reading from John chapter 4. The religious people, the priests... The captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, came up to these radicals whose lives have been changed, Peter and John. While they were speaking to the people, you should picture them interrupting, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Didn't quite agree with all of their theology. They seized Peter and John. Are you thankful that we can be evangelists without persecution? Because it was evening, they didn't know what to do, so they put him in jail until the next day. 
And, of course, Luke wants us to know that the gospel is still moving forward, but despite what they do, but many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. I mean, what do you do as religious people if you don't know what to do? You have a committee meeting. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? This is in reference to the healing and the preaching. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, they witness. (laughs) It doesn't go anywhere with the religious people, but they try, right? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. They understand that scripture, the reference. Jesus is the one, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation, in fact, is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's what they believed. Church, do you believe that? I'll say it again. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. To be a biblical church, that, that's what it says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. There's so many good things to preach on in this passage, aren't there? But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, this is my favorite part, they could see the guy that was healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what are you going to say? So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign. And we cannot deny it. Talk about a worthless committee meeting. (laughs) Why would you want to? Why wouldn't you want the truth? But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then that's the end of book of Acts. No. (laughs) But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. (laughs) Isn't that great? For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I mean, these things don't just happen, right? May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Wouldn't it be great to be part of a church that was just undeniably evidencing God's work? And the only evidence that was needed were the lives that were changing. And to say, well, there's nothing we can say because obviously it works. I love this picture of Acts. I picture a mighty church, don't you? Two verses that really stand out to me are verse 12 and verse 20. 
Verse 12 is what I've emphasized earlier that there is no other name under heaven given by which we can be saved. So that makes evangelism pretty important, don't you think? Pretty narrow statement. A lot of people don't like narrow. Jesus was pretty narrow about it too. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except by me. No one. And of course, as followers of Jesus, as followers of the way, they're, they're saying the same thing. There's, there's no other name except Jesus. That's not really popular sometimes with people, especially those in his generation who had rejected Jesus. They don't want to hear it. And that's going to be true in our lives, isn't it? There are going to be people who don't want to hear it. The other verse that stands out to me, though, is that they, they couldn't help but to share. Verse 20, they couldn't help but to share what they'd seen and heard. I, I want to be a church like that. That it's not a matter of squirming in the pews because I have to get out there and share something. It, it's, it's about I want to get out and share because I've received so much that I can't help but want to share that with others. This is a bold church. This is a mighty church. This is a courageous church. This is a church that God is blessing and multiplying. For all that this church could do, there was one thing they could not do. And I want to invite you to write it down. They could not keep quiet. Verse 20 explains it that way. They actually couldn't even help but to say it. In this way, I wonder if we could reimagine what evangelism was and should be as something that's very natural that comes out of us because our lives have been so touched and so changed that it's just naturally what we talk about. If you're a Denver Broncos fan, you probably talk about the Denver Broncos. <laughs> I hear some groaning already. You're so excited to get a number three jersey. I know. Not Drew Locke's jersey, Russell Wilson's jersey. <laughs> I know. What are we going to do? I tell you, it's something that you find yourself talking about if you care about it, if you're passionate about it. Evangelism is to be the same way, don't you think? What we're naturally passionate about is what we end up talking about. Out of the heart come our words, and my heart is orange and blue. <laughs> so you know this. Sorry. So I want to ask you, do you find yourself talking about the church? And maybe a vision day question would be, if, if not, why not? It's good to know. This is just be a real honest look at our challenges, right? And our opportunities and so forth. Do you find yourself willing, joyfully, to share your faith with others? I've given you a little video clip the last two weeks. I know you'd be disappointed if you didn't have another one. Am I right? Let's see what we can do. Edwards. What do you want? This is Edwards. 
I know I ask you this like every week, but would you like to ride to church with me? Oh, come on, Mrs. Edwards, you'll like my church. We have some hot music. It may not be what you're bumping at all, but it's hot. We get down. What do you say, Mrs. Edwards? Oh, I suppose. I've heard it said that 80% of first-time church visitors come because someone personally invited them. All people need to feel loved and wanted. And for some people, it just takes having someone offer to give them a ride to church. We have something great going on at this church. People's lives are being transformed by God's love. Your homework this week is to find at least one person who could use a little more of that love and invite them to come with you next week. Trust me, it's worth the extra effort. Mrs. Edwards, you want to listen to some music on the way? Go ahead, your choice. Okay, here we are. What do you think? Does that work? <laughs> I love it. The early church just couldn't keep quiet. It's just what they believed. It's what they thought about. It's what they lived. Their lives had been profoundly changed. And so they just wanted everybody to know about it. Isn't that a different picture of evangelism than what we think of sometimes? I really do. I don't think it's an artificial effort. I think it's a natural effort that just spills over into our lives. I'm going to give you a couple of encouragements. On your outlines, I want to encourage you to think about your friends who may need the Lord. I want to invite you to think intentionally about that. What is a church vision if it has nothing to do with someone who is near and dear to your heart? We are the church. The church isn't outside of ourselves. Don't think of the church as an organization. The church is a family. The church is you and me and Jesus Christ. Think about that. Who is it in your life that needs to hear? It's amazing to me, the book of Acts, God entrusts his ministry to people. And that's what's going on. And, and it's a record of their faithfulness. I also put another column on there of beautiful feet. I know you're wondering what that's all about. I'll get to that in a second. Let me give you three encouragements about these people. I want you to notice what we're called to notice specifically out of this. They're incredible evangelists. Would you agree with me? Incredibly effective. We have a lot to learn from them. The most extraordinary thing about this to me is that these are just ordinary people. Case in point, John and Peter are the ones who are so bold and fearless. Do you remember how fearful Peter was? How he denied Jesus three times? How God restored him and forgave him and raised him up to ministry. Think about that. There's hope in that. They're just ordinary people. Do you believe it? I mean, look at all the biblical heroes throughout the Old Testament. You could just go down the line and see all the problems that they had. We'd all want to say this. Somebody else needs to be an evangelist. I couldn't do it. I'm not gifted enough. I don't have the right words. And you start to sound like Old Testament heroes, like Moses. God uses ordinary people. I think that's, that's, that's the best part of this whole thing. Ordinary people. I want to say this too. I want to say that this is something that you can do. Oh, by the way, this was a real compliment when they said, wait a minute, these are unschooled ordinary men. You got that comment, right? That's where I'm getting that from. 
They're just unschooled ordinary men. This was a compliment to them because that's exactly what they said about Jesus. Did you know that? So in John 7, the Jews were amazed. They said, how did this man get such learning without schooling? There's a difference between being super educated and being passionate, right? And I think that's what they recognized in them, the courage of these people. They were risking their lives for it. They would give their lives for the gospel. It's not about how much they knew. It was about their obedience. Do you see the difference? Is this encouraging to anybody who doesn't have a PhD in theology? You don't have to to be an effective witness, do you? You don't. These people were only days away from seeing the resurrection. I mean, not years or decades like many of us, and they're effective evangelists. Because it's not about us, it's about God. They took note, here's what they took note of, that these men had been with Jesus. Don't you love that phrase? They're just ordinary people who had been with Jesus. I want to invite you to write this down. When we grow deeper, we grow wider at the same time as a church. It's not an either-or thing. Because I'm interested in quality as a church, not quantity. Right? (laughs) I was just talking to somebody about fishing, and I said, do you prefer to catch big ones, a few big ones, or a lot of little ones? And I think he's of the same mind that I am. I want both. (laughs) It's not about that. As a church, the deeper we grow, in our faith, the more we have to share it, the more we can't imagine not sharing it, growing deeper in Christ. And I just want to ask you, is that something you can do? A lot of us think, I can't reach out. It's not me. But can you grow deeper in Jesus and let him bring you to a place where, it, well, it's the only thing you have to do. You, you, you just can't not share it. I like that approach. Just ordinary people. Um, beautiful feet. I put on your outlines, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How are they going to know unless someone tells them? How are they going to tell, how are they going to hear it unless somebody tells them? How are they going to preach unless they're sent? How can anyone preach? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is a quote from Isaiah and a psalm. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And I'm just going to ask you, who are the people with beautiful feet in your life? Who are those people who influenced you to follow Christ? I did take time to fill this out for myself. I only put initials uh, for the privacy of people that I am praying for, that I'm actively talking to about my faith. I hope that you have easily a list of five that, that you're working with. And I put the first names of the beautiful feet people in my life. These are ordinary people, I just want you to know. They're not people with theology degrees. Uh, one of them was a high school student. <laughs> uh, One of them was um, a camp director. One of them was an office manager. Um, One of them was an attorney. Um, One of them was um, my high school Spanish teacher. And I knew about her faith. Who are the people who have influenced you, who've demonstrated to you at the time you needed to hear it? I would really encourage you to think about that as an encouragement that they are ordinary believers. And what I love about all those people is their passion for Jesus, their heart. For Jesus. That is what impressed me the most. Think about who those people were and why that impressed you. So I'm asking you, it, it's not about doing something that's strange and artificial and outside of yourself to knock on a screen door with a shiny pamphlet with a stranger. That isn't necessarily what evangelism is. It can be that, but it's not necessarily that. What if it's a conversation with your neighbor 
and saying, can I pray for you? My neighbor and his son got out of their truck yesterday while I was in the yard and talked to me about uh, their lacrosse game. And he's discouraged because he's the smallest kid on the team. And, and I said, my kid was the smallest kid on the team for a long time. Don't give up. <laughs> Sorry, Kyle, I told him what you bench pressed the other day. And, and just getting to know people, just, just sharing something with them had nothing to do with Jesus, right? But I pray for this neighbor regularly with him about something that he's going through that's really serious. Didn't need to on the spot, didn't need to force it, didn't need to um, get out my bullhorn and start shouting at him. <laughs> I just love him. And I love his family, and I've watched his kids since he was born. I, I love them. I care about them. I feel like that's something I can do. The deeper I grow in my faith with Jesus, the more I care about that family. One of the greatest evangelists of our church, if you think about Meridian Friends history, in my opinion, was a gentleman named Dave Emery. And some of you will remember Dave Emery. Uh, Dave was uh, someone who didn't always fit the conventional church mold, I believe. <laughs> um, he didn't like a lot of the politics of church. That's what he would tell me. <laughs> but he started a chapter of uh, Motorcyclists for Christ. Our wheels are his, he called the chapter. And we held in this room several times Biker Sunday. And I'm telling you, Biker Sunday was awesome for years. I loved it. My friend Dave went home to be with the Lord. Joan Emery, his wife, is still a member here. I know that Floyd and Sharon rode with him many times. What I loved about Dave is he would tell us how to get ready for Biker Sunday when this place was descended upon with folks that weren't churched. And he says, you need to know something. These people are not projects. These people are my friends. And that's what he did. He spent time with them. He loved them. He engaged them in conversation. And he did something he really liked. He liked talking about chrome and motorcycles and <laughs> all those things. Ordinary. Maybe the more ordinary, the better. If they hear it from me, they think I'm selling them something. Right? Ordinary. Secondly, I love this phrase in verse 14. They could see that the man who had been healed standing there was right there with them. There was nothing they could say. Secondly, their, oh, did I put it on there? Oh, I put in the wrong phrase. Don't, don't look at the overhead. It's embarrassing. Their lives, lives matched their message. How's that? Their lives matched their message. They had evidence of someone who couldn't stand, who was standing. Now, I don't know about physically, but do you know people like that? I'm saying I'm one of those people. Has God changed your life in such a way that it's undeniable evidence that Jesus Christ is alive, that he's real? Are our lives changing? We think evangelism is about being a salesman or being an attorney, about defending. We think it's about um, trying to gimmick somebody, and it isn't. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. That, that's what he said, you'll be my witnesses. Just, just say what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced as a Christian. That is convincing proof. You know, people know when you're for real, and they know when you're not. They know when you're trying to be something that you're not. And being disingenuous is a huge turnoff to folks. 
Sometimes I find we get louder when we're more anxious. And there should not be this fear in evangelism. Perfect love casts away fear. If you truly love the person you're talking to, that will come across to them. The scripture says in John 13, 35, they'll know we're Christians by our love. And I think the church hasn't always been good at this. Would you agree with me? We're very, very, very anxious about evangelism. We're very confrontive. We're very pushy sometimes. And we've done a lot of damage. And of course, the worst example is the Crusades. Believe in Jesus or die. I'm thankful for the Quaker faith that emphasizes that you need to be a possessor of truth, not just a professor of truth. Our lives need to speak the message in undeniable ways. My neighbors live with me for like 20 years. <laughs> he knows how I am. And, and I think that's how it should be. Our lives need to match our words. I think the best way to defend the gospel, by the way, the gospel doesn't need you to defend it. It's true all by itself. Are you with me? People will attack it. Yes. Can you convince them otherwise? No. <laughs> Especially if they don't respect you because you won't listen to them. I'm, I'm really on a soapbox here. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I really believe that's true. Our changed lives need to speak and give the opportunity for a hearing. And often we're just not willing to do that. We're not willing to listen. We're too anxious about the heresy that they still have going on in their lives. Are you with me? <laughs> Unchurched people show up with a lot of heresy. Do we love them? Are we afraid that their heresy will change us? Something to think about. Jesus was misunderstood quite a bit as a friend of sinners, right? Their lives matched their words. And then finally, they spoke fearlessly. And again, I think this is why. It's because they spoke simply about what they had seen and what they had heard. What had they seen? Well, they'd seen Christ who was crucified alive. How could you not speak about that? Have you seen Christ alive in your life? How could you not speak about that? They spoke as witnesses, not as attorneys. Not as people who need to Defend in the sense of apologetics, if that makes sense. I really believe the church isn't, that the world doesn't need a whole lot of educated folks arguing with them. I think they need a whole lot of passionate folks loving them. I know in my case, theology came a lot later. My youth workers, they kind of knew where I was. <laughs> How could they not? but I was loved, and that was so appealing to me. I needed somebody to accept me right where I was before I could ever think about changing. The Holy Spirit has to do that work. Am I saying don't stand up for truth? Of course not. I'll, I'll tell you the truth, but I want to make sure that we're having a dialogue about it and not a sermon, although sermons are great, by the way. They spoke fearlessly. They were willing to stand for the truth. They were willing to say what needed to be said. Why? Because they spoke about what they had seen and they spoke about what they had heard. And what did they, what did they hear? 
Acts 1.8 says, you'll be my witnesses. The great commission is, you'll be my witnesses. The great commandment that they had heard was, was love God with every piece of who you are and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment, love, love, love. And the great commission out of that commandment is, go be witnesses. In every corner of where you are, everywhere you go, everything that you do religiously as a church, as you baptize, as you teach, as you do all of these things, make disciples. That's what they'd heard. They were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's what Jesus commissioned them to be and to do. And that's what evangelism is. It's about living out the truth in a way that is compelling, non-compromising, fearless even. I'm continuing to pray that God leads us toward our vision day. And part of my prayer is Psalm 23, asking Jesus as the good shepherd to lead us. We're going to move to our closing song after I pray. Would you stand with me as you're able? I want to invite you to hear these words. And as you think about people in your life who need to hear his truth, if you're fearful of being bold, of sharing, even if you have reservations about it, could you say as David did, O oh Lord, you are my shepherd. When it comes to sharing my faith, there is nothing that I'm wanting or lacking. You're the one who calms those incredibly real fears. You cause me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You alone are the restorer of our soul. You lead us in uncompromised, truthful paths of righteousness. You do that not for us. You do that for your own name's sake. Even though we live in this world, in this generation, that's so difficult. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, we refuse to fear. We refuse to be controlled by fear. Why? Because Jesus, you're with us. After all, it's your rod and your staff that have comforted us. You have given us forgiveness and salvation. Our future is secured. You prepare a table of celebration before us, even in the presence of our enemies. You prepare us. You anoint our head with oil. And Lord, we declare, even in the task you've given us to multiply, to share our faith, that our cup overflows. We do not have a scarcity outlook on this. Surely your goodness and your mercy will follow us all the days of my life. And, and God, how I pray that's true for us. May that be what the people we talk to this week feel. May they know goodness and mercy and grace because of our lives. And Lord, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We thank you for the gift of our salvation, Jesus. We look forward to better things than the shadow of death we live in.
we're grateful that you've snatched us up from muddy places and set our feet on a rock. You've rescued us. We have so much to be grateful for. Lord, would you let us be the church that you call us to be? In Jesus' name we pray.